but at the end of the day, the uh, complete avoidance is uh, almost impossible in the sense that if you like, like what you say, if you want to hide, hide from you, you can hide, always hide. So the only thing is that uh, through diversification, too good to be true, grain of salt, understand the management, but you can do as much as you can. But if they still would like to fool you, hide from you, there's no way as a passive investor that you can actively go into it, intervene and what's up, because we, we are not supposed to, to do, do that kind of things. So at the end, I think it's uh, through diversification. But the groundwork is just we, we, we are paid to take risks. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risks, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Frankie Chung. Frankie, are you ready to rock? Yes, why not? All right, let's go. So let me introduce you to our audience. Frankie Chung is a CFA charter holder and is the chief investment officer of an investment company and he's an experienced, let me tell you, he's experienced professional in equity and fixed income analysis and portfolio management. Before his job, he was chief investment officer of MIAG-HK, the asset management arm of Munich Reinsurance. Based in Hong Kong, he and his team covered Asian equity and fixed income portfolios for Munich Re. Before joining that in 2010, he was the deputy head of Asia equities at Bearing Asset Management and responsible for country allocation, stock selection, and managing equity portfolios in Asia Pacific. And Frankie and I were just talking about when he started that job and about time, it was about the time that I started my job as a sell side analyst and Frankie was on the buy side. So the way we originally knew each other is I flew up to Hong Kong in probably 1994, 1995, and I pitched my ideas for the Thai stock market, particularly I was looking at the Thai banks at the time. So we've known each other for a very long time. Now Frankie, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Thank you, Andrew. Hi, welcome, everybody. Uh, well, I'm just a typical fund manager or maybe a sort of uh, engineering guy, go to MBA school, then join the industry in Sydney as an analyst, back to Hong Kong, cover Australia, New Zealand's equities, and then the center of gravity gradually moving north and have a very exciting time during the Asian financial crisis, along with Andrew and able to preserve some of my hairs, but still getting... Uh, um, uh, chunking along with a couple of organizations, uh, SM management, and eventually become a CIO. Now, today's uh, story about worst investments actually happens when it's not, not in bearings, but is in uh, another company called CIBC, uh, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, when I was uh, a fund manager there and covering Asian equities and particularly Singapore. That's the company in question is called City Raya, a very uh, say, uh, interesting uh, company in the sense that uh, they do recycling. Is what, recycling what? Recycling electronic waste. So in under the name of ESG, environmental friendly, it is the right industry at the right time. It happens in the uh, 15, uh, 2004, 2005-ish. 
that's the time that uh, when Europe start to require the companies to recycle all these electronics box, you name it, computer, TV. So uh, you, you have to have a service provider. And so these city riot with the um, uh, establishment in Singapore and then grabbing the hands in uh, all over Europe, responsible to collect this uh, electronic waste and recycle it. So uh, for the start, it is just a how this come. I run into this company, and uh, there was a Deutsche Bank uh, cover the store, cover the stocks, and then present to me. Yeah, okay, it's a it's just one of the many investments uh, in uh, the region. So, uh, uh, do my initial analysis, meet the management in Singapore, and follow the company. The incidents happens. Uh, that's the, when the, the CFO, uh, actually newly landed CFO, uh, uh, also did, uh, uh, did uh, her, um, I don't know whether it's maiden roadshow or what, but at least a global roadshow along with Deutsche Bank. And uh, after two, two, three months after the roadshow, uh, then all of a sudden the stocks got suspended and was under investigation. But uh, uh, adding to more color, why I mentioned this CFO is a very typical as a analyst or fund managers cover stocks. You want would like to say, hey, is there any, any, any do, do you vote with your feet? And uh, the, the one of the highlights or the more attractive thing is obviously when we learn about, oh, the CFO really on board. And then actually uh, she also bought some shares. So it's a double vote of confidence that the insiders put the monies on the table, bet along with the, not a bet, but uh, invest along with the companies. And unfortunately, why the, the company gets suspended and uh, during the recycling time, actually the major shareholders is cunningly enough that collect the waste and then instead of recycle, actually they resell. So it is uh, even save, save the energy to, to knock it into pieces, but actually um, do, uh, do his side business, uh, collect the waste and then, uh, and then recycle it. And it, it, this uh, actually, if you search the, the uh, Google, you can find the names or actually the local Singapore accounting societies uh, uh, put it as a local case, as a fault to study. So my last cut the long story short. Can, can, is, I, can I ask something on that? Yeah, when you yeah. said about the, uh, mm -hmm. that they were reselling the waste. Yes. Um, were they reselling it uh, just through the company or were they reselling it through a management-owned company as exactly. in trying to siphon maybe um, yeah, exactly. a connected party transaction. Exactly. So the so the actually I didn't do do a lot of investigation on a, on a post mortem, but uh, but the reading what being uh, investigated uh, is that they siphoned it up. Then the the profit margin obviously you uh, knock down some old computer chips and then and then sell it. Uh, immediately instead of knocking down the pieces and set it as a base metal. So this is the two, two route and, uh, and, and the private route is obviously not going into the list code, but private pockets. Yep. Yeah. So that's, that's the, that, that's the fault. Um, so here you go. I mean, the, the, from the operation side, there's some fault and, and, and I suppose even the CFO smart enough say, oh yeah, okay. Instead of 10 tons of waste, he collect eight tons. That, that doesn't really, um, uh, move the dial in the sense that, uh, uh, it will, it will not miss their earnings forecast. Still the, the, the list code story is still very beautiful. 
but the missing waste uh, in the sense that uh, get discovered and then it's all traced back and then um, the major shareholder disappears. <laughs> so completely. So what we have thought there, why, why we would like to, to, to do this kind of things when you have a list code doing the right, right thing or, uh, at, at, at the right time, doing for the good of, of the ESG. So my lessons is that, uh, well, connected party transaction is one, one thing, but actually this, this is not, not, not a typical connected party transaction, uh, buying, buying your furniture or, or, or buying your suppliers from, from your cousin or your brother or your wife. So the, it's just uh, siphoning out the, uh, your raw materials uh, uh, at, at a higher profit mar margin somewhere else. So it is almost becomes an operational audit. And I really wonder, say, uh, even the auditor can pick it up if, uh, uh, if not being um, questioned by some of the, the end customers receiving the old, old chips and then say, hey, where, where you got it? And then the, the whole thing's broke bro out uh, uh, in the public. So how would you describe the lessons that you learned from this? Well, with a grant of sort, for sure, for anything financial data that you you can ascertain. Then the second part, uh, actually, you it is well. My 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 key lesson is that is if I, in our finance world, uh, lots of things are based on trust, and whether whether the, the fund manager is trust wealthy or now is the owners trust trust wealthy in the sense that uh, instead of normal business, he just chuck out some of the in raw material and then reset it and then put it into his own pocket. There's other aspects. Unfortunately, in, in the corporate world, uh, there are so many uh, levers that can move, uh, and uh, enhance or distract uh, these kind of um, uh, uh, <laughs> I would say extracurricular activities or, or funny activities. Uh, it's just a stretching our imagination. Not to mention that uh, uh, when when we look at conglomerates, those can go go uh, on every direct direction you can imagine. Let me. Uh, I think I normally would summarize what I what I learned from this, but I think that yeah. this this really comes down to a, a little discussion between you and me about yeah. this between a very experienced buy-side analyst and a very experienced sell-side analyst. The question really, this, this all boiled down to related parties. Yes. And we, you know, we look at related parties and most of the time related parties are not a problem. Now, now we know, for sure we know that the reason why there's a higher level of disclosure and why we, you know, why auditors and investors require companies report the related transactions and so we can go through them and just understand where the risks lie. Right. And, and so, you know, the hard part about this is how could this have been prevented? Now, when I think about it, on the one hand, we like entrepreneurs who are starting different businesses. Yeah. You know, so like there are some people who are running companies who have a lot of related transactions and they don't abuse that. Mm, true. But then you have these people and, and a lot of times what, what the sneaky ones do, the untrustworthies, as you mentioned, that investing is based upon trust. The untrustworthy ones do, the first step is that they hide it so they don't even have to disclose it exactly. as a related party transaction. So it's very hard to find out that actually the company that they're selling to is owned by the secretary of a cousin and whatever. And exactly. that they've, they've got something that we just very hard to find. 
Yeah. But then, then you've got people who disclose it through their financial statements, but still abuse it. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in this case, as you said, the auditor appears to have not um, seen it. So the question I ask for you is that how, in, in hindsight, as, as an experienced investor, if you came upon this situation today, and maybe right. this, this will wrap up with our, what I'm asking about, mm-hmm. what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffer, suffering the same fate? Mm-hmm. What, would you, what could you take away from this as an, as an investor today to be able, when, when a good idea comes and you like the idea, the story's good, the management seems okay, how could you prevent yourself from falling into this situation? Definitely is uh, understanding about the, the major shareholders uh, mentality when, when you talk about uh, a related party transaction. Actually, it's not, not may, maybe it's just he and his brother, but the, as a matter of fact, it's just the, uh, the owner's principles uh, that uh, how he sees things, how he would like to extract profit from Lisco or whatever means. So this is one one of the lessons uh, putting a, a, a much higher uh, weighting in the owners or management, uh, the key management um, uh, quality uh, iris, uh, on top of the other parameters, no matter valuations, uh, in industry, or all, all sort of things. But at the end of the day, the uh, a complete avoidance is almost impossible in the sense that if you like, like what you say, if you want to hide from you, you can hide, always hide. So the, the only thing is that through diversification, don't put all the eggs. There's old, very, very old school of thought that yeah, okay, too good to be true, grain of salt. Understand the management, but you can do as much as you can. But if they still would like to fool you, hide from you, there's no way as a passive uh, investors that you can actively go into it, intervene and what's up, because we, we are not supposed to, to do, do that kind of things. So at the end, I think through diversification, but the groundwork is just, we, we, we are paid to take risks in the sense that we have uh, um, performed our due diligence and da, 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 on all sorts of things. I'll be lying to you that there's a perfect way to eliminate, completely eliminate. It's just whether you control or ascertain that kind of risk uh, compared to the reward. That, 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 that's the best thing I think I can okay. do. Great. And um, I would summarize that in saying this is really the core of traditional active fund management. And that is understanding the management, visiting the company, understanding the motives of management, and trying to build up some trust in the business model as well as the people who own it and who have control over decisions. And I think when we talk about risk management in a, let's say, a quantitative or a trading sense, we use stop losses maybe. But in the traditional management sense, a huge amount of the risk management has to do with the work and the research that you've done to make sure that the company is, that that you're comfortable with it. And that is the risk management of a traditional active fund manager. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, when, when I say passive, it's not 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 that running the ETF as a passive, but the passive in, in the sense that uh, we just uh, actively study the, the the company, but at the end, we we do not have the operational control, operational audit kind of uh, uh, intervene. So right. yeah, so we have active to some part, but uh, like uh, a, any one of us, we we have to know our limit, how active we can be. 
because we are paid to 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 be a active if that's the mandate but at the end just don't pretend we are almighty can completely eliminate all the fault because the fault is everywhere yes and that's that's one last takeaway and then i'm going to wrap this up and that is um fraud does come as a surprise at times and so there's nothing you can do sometimes if someone's a very good sneaky tricky person (laughs) (laughs) so I think we'll wrap it up there. Listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Frankie, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for our audience? No, I think uh, you summarized it very well. And have a good day. Yeah. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.